0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I am here with Zilpa, the handmaid of Leah, from the book of Genesis. Uh, our guest today is uh, someone very special and important in our, in our podcasting lives, uh, the giver and donor of our mugs that we forgot to bring today of uh, Iron Sharpens Iron. Thank you for those uh, nice mugs to celebrate our 1 year podcasting anniversary, Mrs. Uh, Miss Rachel Bushkoff.
1: Hello everybody. It's great to be here. I thank them for the opportunity of coming today and also for their podcasts up to this point, which have been very insightful and encouraging.
0: And and she has entered the podcast guest Hall of Fame by being the first guest on our podcast ever to bring us food while we record. Uh, she brought some cheese curds that are too squeaky to chew on the air because the microphone would pick up the squeaking.
1: They're so fresh. I'm so glad these guys can share them with me. But, yeah, just got them from Door County yesterday, freshly made. She, yeah, she they went, haven't even been in the fridge yet.
2: Chewing all the way up to Door County, so a three-hour trip just to get us cheese curds to bring to the podcast.
0: Now, we, did, we have had listeners who have provided us food. Uh, one of them would be one of our wives. Uh, but that uh, that's not a guest a guest who brings food so this is this is what makes you sweet if if that listener wants to uh be on the podcast or crash the podcast with the other (laughs) pastor's wife uh that's that's an idea
1: that is a good idea i would fully support that
2: yeah we are we are pastors and we will take food uh, at any time so uh rachel is a member here at water of life she is also our third grade teacher at Wisconsin Lutheran School, one of our pianists for worship. Uh, but what we wanted to talk to Rachel about, since the scripture readings are talking about outreach, is some of the outreach opportunities she's had. Is you've been in the ministry for over twenty years, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, give us an example of some place you've been. I know. So we were just talking before the podcast about your work at up in Milwaukee at Christ St. Peter.
1: Yes. So what kind of
2: ministry outreach did you have there?
1: Well, I was called to be the ESL, English as a Second Language Teacher, up at Christ St. Peter. And they have two different language ministries going up there apart from the English ministry, and that is Spanish. They have at Christ and St. Peter, and of course lots of Spanish-speaking families in the school. And they also have refugees from Thailand and Burma, who are the Karen and the Karenni people from there. And so they have a lot of needs in the English-speaking world as far as getting along in school and also the adults in the workforce. And so there was a big need for an English as a second language teacher up there. And there were lots of opportunities for outreach to them as well. So I got to work with small groups of kids from K-4 all the way up through 8th grade in helping fortify their English skills or maybe start from scratch. if Some of them didn't know much of any English when they came into the school. And then some of the adults attended church on Sunday in the English service and just tried to get whatever they could out of the English service. But it was very minimal because not many of them spoke a lot of English, but they still felt that it was important to be there. And so then, together with a couple other people at the church, we started putting together basic Bible studies on basically God's great exchange and basic Bible teachings. And we used online Karen Bibles that we were able to access and put together basic English Bible studies that they could translate through either students that I had in the school or some of the other adults that had a little more English ability. They were able to translate into Karen and Karenni or Burmese even during the Bible study. So it was very much like a telephone game, the whole Bible study, but it was really neat. And those Karen studies on Sunday morning really grew quite a bit. And we had them at the same time as the English Bible studies. So they would still attend church in English, but then they would come and attend the tr- trilingual, sometimes, Bible study. So that was really neat to be part of that.
0: Well, one of the things that uh, I've had more than one experience with, uh, Rachel, now is traveling and uh, leading groups of people uh, for for different types of mission or ministry uh, trips. And uh, that's uh, you've had more experience than just the two times that you and I have traveled together Uh, leading groups on on trips. And I'm bringing this Mm -hmm. up because our gospel will be talking about going out and making mission trips. Can you talk about some of your experiences with that?
1: Yes. Um, I had the opportunity with WISCO, Wisconsin Lutheran High School, to chaperone a number of their different high school trips to different locations where we would help with VBS or we'd help teach English or we would help with projects at churches. Like We went to Costa Maya in Mexico. We went to Torreon. We went to Chile. Um, I've chaperoned other trips as well besides just Wisco's and one of them was to Dominican Republic. So there have been a lot of different opportunities to just get out and take kids out of their comfort zone, out of their own culture and their own ministry life in their churches and schools and take them to totally different locations and just watch them blossom and serve in these other locations and come back really fired up and inspired. So that's been really neat to see.
2: And I know we're only... Just a few minutes into this podcast, but I don't know if our listeners picked up it. Rachel's kind of a high energy person. Uh, she is always excited. It's a treat when she comes on Sunday morning for to play, and then she just walks in. Hello, everyone! Oh, Rachel's here. It's <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> yeah, she might do that. Uh, and you know, like we had Rachel as one of our chaperones down at the youth rally with Jeremy and myself. And just walking around with Rachel and people going, "Oh, she would go, "Oh, I know that person, or I know that person," and so I wanted to at the end of the day put Rachel's picture up on the.: screen I'm shaking my head right now, saying, in case you can't. Anyone think of that. that knows Rachel, please stand up because there're probably a good quarter of the people there that may, that probably knew her because
1: you've been everywhere. It, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, I would Maybe say, but but I did know quite a few people. It was really fun for me to reconnect with and, a lot of and, people from previous you times. You really in life. have to come out of your shell a little bit because I know you're so introverted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I give myself a pep talk in the mirror before <laughs> I leave.
0: Do <laughs> you, you have a? Don't you have a question you're supposed to ask her?
2: I don't know if I do I uh,
0: about know. about uh, me. About you? Yeah. You ask all of our guests.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. So how are you related to, to Jeremy or Abby Leighton?
1: Hmm. I don't think that we actually are. Yes. Related. Good. We got fresh. some new blood.
0: All That's right. right. <laughs> Bring fresh fresh Boy, blood I, into I, the wells. I'm really
2: slipping on that question. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll make sure we do better when we have Dave Rockoff on next week. Uh, so uh, you are also down in Mexico, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk about that ministry down there and for how long and...
1: Okay, so between my junior and senior year of MLC, I took some time off to work with Kingdom Workers, and I started in Colombia, actually, but that was the same time the mission team got pulled out from Colombia because of the dangerous situations down there, and so then for the remainder of the first year that I had signed up to be down there, I was in Mexico City helping to start the English English as an Outreach type program there in Mexico City with like Larry and Marlene Schlomer and Tim and Terry Flunker and Mike Hartman and eventually Rachel Hartman now, but she had come down as a kingdom worker. And so we all worked together down there. I was teaching English to adults and I was also building those bridges through the English to reach out to the community with God's word. So there were some neat stories connected with that. For example, one lady that was in our English classes, she invited me over to her house and then when I got there, I saw all kinds of idols of all different sorts, all different gods, and she wanted to know what my take on all of that was. And it's just incredible to see what doors God opens for you to be able to talk about his word and your faith and who the true God really is. But there were lots of different things like that that just came up that I would never experience in my Experiences here in the United States and the little well schools I was in, that they have their own ministries and their own opportunities. But there's just been so many crazy type things that have happened to me in other countries with bridges to people I never would have guessed I would interact with that led to really wonderful opportunities for sharing the gospel.
2: Well, with that, Jeremy, you know, Rachel, you can think about this. Do you have a, an outreach story? That you can think of. And while you're thinking, I I guess I can tell one. I just shared it this morning in my uh, hymn devotion uh, that it was about Rick and Mandy, and that Rick and Mandy were a couple that lived in the apartments behind our storefront church down in Kentucky. They weren't ever members. They took the classes, but they had a lot of anger management uh, issues, uh, a lot of marriage issues. I spent a lot of time with them going to the courthouse because they kept getting their kids taken away and so forth. So this was a really difficult family. And uh, when I left Kentucky, the last time I saw them was in the courthouse, and they ended up having their kids taken away. And yet Mandy reached out to me several years ago on Facebook, and she had her name changed and everything, and she was divorced from Rick after he abandoned her. He was now She was now remarried and her husband and her together owned a preschool and a trucking company, or tow truck company, and they had, I think, three children of their own, but she said that the most difficult thing was giving up her two previous children from her previous marriage with Rick. Uh, But they were so young back then, and as the kids were, and then they had spent so much time away from mom and dad. But And I tell the story in the hymn devotion that... Humanly speaking, I had given up on them after I left, you know, and yet that gospel that was planted in her heart, at least, I don't know about Rick, but in her heart, uh, really blossomed later on in her life with her new husband and her children and so forth. So yeah, that's really cool to see.
1: Yeah. I think God has given me a lot of opportunity to see how certain relationships are, or certain people even are really against hearing about God. They don't want to talk about it. But then over time, you see little things that sort of God's chipping away at them little by little through different life circumstances or different things that come to their mind. And he lets that grow into something that eventually later on, and like some of the places I've been, I've been able to go back years later and see that whole family ended up coming to faith and they brought their neighbors and now their neighbors brought people from their work and to just see how God has sort of caused to blossom His word and that whole family's life and in their connections now. And to see that, start from like this person was just really resistant to it in the beginning and you thought it's never going to go anywhere. But then over time how God has allowed it to really blossom and grow, that's been super cool to see in different places I've been.
0: I'm trying to think of stories and it's almost like all of them that I could tell you are either a case where... I just kind of befriended people or kept up a relationship with people who were outside of the church. And then after I left the church, whatever, you know, if it was the one in Michigan or in Kansas, uh, that suddenly I'm getting reports from people who are still members there that, oh, so-and-so, like our it, one was our next door neighbor in Benton Harbor, Michigan, that uh, I would always see her and we'd say hi and she'd say hi to my wife at the grocery store and that type of thing. Uh but uh, never was interested in our church, and, and I never really talked to her about it. But there was one time when she—all uh, of a sudden, there was a lot of traffic coming and going, and, and people from her house right next door to ours. And I asked what had happened, and it was the, the mother, the elderly mother at the at the home had died— and that was her mother. And so I just, I asked if I could go in and I had a devotion with her and, and shared God's word and the comfort of the resurrection. But still nothing uh, about, you know, she she didn't give any kind of indication that she was interested in joining the church. And then after we moved away, it was later that uh, one of the members at St. Matt's Benton Harbor said, oh, the lady next door to the parsonage started coming to church. And uh, it, that's it, cool. It's always it's always things like that. It's those are most of my stories that, so I was,
2: most of your stories entail <clears throat> you moving away, and
0: then and then they, then they <laughs> like then they then they want to join. Yes, uh,
1: it goes to show you how sometimes it's like very slow acting, but it doesn't leave. Like it stays in people's minds and hearts. I think, and sometimes it's like a certain moment in life or a certain situation or just whatever that'll bring it to light again
0: it's it's gardening and God It's planting it, it's planting the seed grow. yeah it's, it's planting sp- seeds the right time. and they're they're going to sprout when it's their time to sprout but uh i also like to just always go back our our gospel is from luke's luke's account and that's also the same one that has uh what's fast becoming my new favorite parable the manager the shrewd manager who uh is going to get fired and so he uh, quickly Uh, takes the the books and works them in favor of people who owed his master money. And then all those people like him. And that's Jesus' point is make friends. The verb he uses, the command is make friends for yourselves. And that's that's what we do as Christians. It's not so much, uh, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, Let me tell you all about my religion. Uh, It's more so let's build a relationship so you know I care about Mm -hmm. you. And then... uh, it will naturally come out later that I also have this faith in Christ.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of things happen like like that in terms of some of the places I've been to, different people feel like, well, I don't really have the skills to speak out eloquently. It's kind of like the hymn says, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they like are really interested in cooking. So they'll do a cooking thing with some friends that are really good at cooking, and they'll exchange skills that way. Or they'll go join a biking club, or they'll go – participate in the community basket pick up basketball game or whatever and wherever they are they're just making friends and over time god does give you lots of opportunities in those relationships and friendships and you don't even feel like sometimes that you're doing the ministry or you're doing something important you feel like well i'm just having fun i'm just following my interests but god uses those to build the relationships that eventually will become yeah so the other think things
2: of tomorrow morning in all of you can pray for me because I'll be out uh, doing paintball with our teens. And uh, you know, I was telling <clears throat> Shelley and my youngest daughter Belle before I came over here that here I expected all of our—we've you know, got a good core group of like 20 teens. I said we've got like 57 teenagers, but they're kind of split in thirds: a third that are inactive, a third they're medium, and a third that are really active—kind of like a, a whole church. And I thought this would be filled with, you know, the 20 that are really active, maybe another 10 that are semi-active. But it's – I've got a couple of kids that are going tomorrow that are in that inactive group and not not many of the really active group. And yet I'm excited because these kids are coming and it's what you what you are talking about, just to have another opportunity – to share the gospel with them because we're going to do that before we go and shoot paintballs at each other, hopefully at other people uh, that we're going to do a Bible story on Gideon and the Midianites some battle theme and so mm-hmm. forth but just to be able to get the teens in their word so that they can get their family excited about doing you know their members but they're they haven't been real active recently and just yeah like you're saying Rachel every opportunity to be together with as Christ Church, even if it's out in the woods somewhere.
1: Yeah, God designed us to be in community with each other, and I think building that community has so much value. And it's not like you have to always have a Bible verse or a Bible story at everything you do. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, that's the the ultimate goal that we're building their faith. But I think even just building community within has so much value. One
2: of the teens did text me last night because he was planning on going, and they said. Sorry, I have to work, pastor. I can't make it. And I texted him, I'm, I feel really bad because I was planning on hitting you with all 200 paintballs. <laughs> and he texted back, well, that's what I was planning on doing with you. And I said, but I'm a lot faster than you are. So he texted a picture of the flash because he
1: figured that's who I am.
2: So I, I, that's how
1: pastor communicates with our teens. <laughs> and it's very effective.
2: Yeah, well, and that was one of the things I told Bell, uh, who's not going to be a junior, is that it is a really neat thing as a pastor, you know, being an older guy, 51, to be able to have the teens just on their own texting the pastor and say about different things. I had one of the teens uh, ask me a question about uh, the devil went down to Georgia, the song, and asked if the character in that song was sinning because he was in a contest over a fiddle with the devil. (laughs) I don't know where the question came up. I've
0: I've always wondered that.
2: Yeah, so... Uh, I won't give you the answer right now, but it was just—it was just, uh, just kind of neat that the teens, as we're talking about, uh, bringing them into the gospel, and then we're going to get into the gospel lesson next, sending them out with that gospel. You want to get into the gospel lesson, Jeremy? Sure.
0: This is from Luke chapter ten. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go your way. Look, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Do not carry a money bag or a traveler's bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, Peace be to this house, and if a peaceful person is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they give you, because the worker is worthy of his pay. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are in the town, and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust from your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day than for that town. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He told them, I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will ever harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names have been written in heaven.
2: So Jesus is giving his instructions to his larger group of disciples to help them as he sends out these 72. And I just want to look at each of these phrases. So Rachel, what is the phrase when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? Ask the Lord. How would that help the disciples then or help you uh, as you're being sent out?
1: Well, there is a great mission to accomplish and you get to be part of it. The harvest is plentiful. There's so many people out there that do not know the truth about who they are and who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so there's a lot of opportunities before you. The workers are few. You know that you're, you're going to be in the minority, but God does promise to answer the prayer that to send more workers into the into okay. the fields, you know we can pray for that and i think sometimes we don't pray for that as much as we could he does say ask me yeah. so
0: yeah he's and he's not going to tell you to ask just to pull a trick on you and say "Ha ha, i'm not going to give this to you he's saying ask because i am going to give
1: this. yeah this is a big job and you're going to need to continue to grow your grow your team so god's going to continue to grow his team
2: yeah so one of the things that uh I'm working on in our mission board is it's called the VTO vision traction organization. And one of the things that we learn with that is from a book and it talks about in the cotton fields down South, it can be any kind of field, but in the cotton fields they would take a a big stick and they would throw it uh, as far as they could. And then they would work toward that stick and then they could take a break and then they would pick up the stick and throw it. And the idea is that field is massive and it's overwhelming. The harvest field is big, and it's and it's massive and overwhelming. But you have to take off sizable chunks at a time. And the VTO is you have your three-month rock, you know, your rock or your stick you throw out, and you work at that, and you're working toward a six-year goal. But a six-year goal is too much. But you have to have it manageable. And it's the same thing with any type of ministry. It's it's a huge ministry, and so you have to have a small bite-sized pieces. What about this, Jeremy? The phrase "like lamb among lambs among wolves." How would that encourage the disciples then or now?
0: I, I was almost thinking it wouldn't encourage. Uh, the, the Jesus is basically saying that as Christians were sanctified by the holy spirit we are to assume the best about people that's the eighth commandment is uh take take everyone's words and actions in the kindest possible way and so that's that's kind of how we're supposed to be wired is that we are uh always assuming the best about people and jesus is sort of here saying uh, but also have your eyes open and and uh realize that that you are kind of innocent you you are uh, maybe sheltered in a way, and uh, you're going to be dealing with people who are very powerful and crafty in their line of work, whatever it is. And uh, d- d- just recognize that that you might you might need help. You might need help from uh, people who are more familiar with. Uh, I, I think of th- this isn't quite a, a good comparison, but what you were just saying about the trilingual Bible class is. Um, uh, it, you're in you're in the realm of somebody else's territory, uh, their their language. You, you need help. Uh, you're kind of innocent. You don't know the language, and so you want to you want to be cautious that you don't cause offense uh, as you're as you're doing the Bible class. So maybe it's more it's not so much an encouragement as it is, or it's encouraging because Jesus is making us aware of something we need to be aware of.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say something similar, like just letting you know the reality of the situation. You're going to be in over your head, and people are going to be attacking you, but expect that.
2: Yeah. How about this one, Rachel? Uh, don't carry a money bag or traveler's bag or sandals. That seems like Jesus is telling them don't be prepared.
1: Well, I think it's encouraging them to trust in him and what he's got prepared for them in terms of His the body of believers and the people that are going to help support them along their way. And I think he's calling them to trust trust in him trust in his provision don't think that they need to do everything and bring everything because he will provide
0: and i i also think that we we jump really quickly when when really when we read any bible passage to immediately assume that this is talking directly about me in my life today and th- there's there's other sections of scripture where jesus says you remember that time i told you not to bring a uh, money bag and sandals, well, that was this time. Mm. And he says, well, now I'm telling you to bring uh, a sword and bring a money bag and sandals. And so I think the the point I'm trying to make is, let's also remember that this isn't necessarily a direct uh, command for the church today of all time. There are applications, mm-hmm. there are applications we can make to it uh, yeah. for today, but this is um, also spoken to the original... Uh, I was about to say 12, but it's 72. The original 72. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so you don't want any church council to say, hey, we don't have to pay our pastor that much because he's not supposed to carry a money bag or anything like that. You know, he shouldn't be concerned with money. But I was thinking about this too as I was talking to you guys about the uh, the paintball. I just had a, a mom text me before I came over here saying, I don't know if my son can go tomorrow. I, I have to pay bills, and I may not have enough money left over. But he really wants to go. I said, if it works for you, I'll give you the money, and you can pay me back. And not, not pointing it out that I'm trying to be so generous, but in the, you know years ago, I wouldn't have had that money to be able to, do, to loan. And God has blessed me and my family to be in such a way that now I don't need to take that money purse with me. I don't need to count every dollar. God's blessed me to be able to help someone else out with the ministry.
1: Could it could it also be that he's he knows that staying with people along the way is going to help build the relationships and build the community of the church? And if they were just able to handle everything on their own, that wouldn't give those people the needs. The needs <laughs> that wouldn't give those people the opportunity to give to them and to host them. Could it be that too?
0: Yeah, if your if your council is saying we need to cut funds uh, or whatever. Because of this not carrying a money purse you would I would point out uh, no it, Jesus is saying the local people are going to be supporting you, um, so yeah. th- that's that 's not an argument in favor of uh, cutting uh, the funding of a ministry it's it 's an argument in favor of giving more toward it on the local level
2: so now this next one, Rachel, this one would be really hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do not greet anyone.
1: That would be hard. Would be I hard. would agree.
2: Yeah. So so Jeremy, what is he t- talking about there? I mean, I I can be kind of introverted. I don't like talking to strangers. I'll talk to people I know all day long, but I don't like to talk to strangers. So what is, is what is Jesus getting at here, Jeremy?
0: Again, I'm going to start with remember this is instructions for the original 72. Uh so let's not say whenever you're out canvassing don't talk to anybody right. other than other than the target of the canvas. Um, but I think the application that we can make is, first of all, uh, it has to do with distractions. That Don't let anything distract you as you're on, on your way to the next town. Um, and I, I also think there are probably some cultural things that we don't totally have a, a grasp of. Like, well, maybe we do. When you hear of the Minnesota long goodbye. Um, yeah. That yes. you, you 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 take forever and ever and ever to say. Well, we should probably get going, and and then you stand on the porch for a while and talk some more, and then you stand at the curb for a while and talk yeah. some more, and finally you you leave uh, several hours later. Well, I'm wondering if maybe there isn't a cultural similarity with the Israelite greeting, you know, Israelite hello, that you 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 have to stop on the path to not just it's not just like. Hi, I'm. I'm gonna wave as we pass by and say good morning. It's more like no, we need to stop and acknowledge each other and have a uh, my conversation. And I'm wondering maybe if I I didn't research this, but
1: maybe limit distractions and remember you're on a mission here.
2: Yeah, and what you were talking about the long goodbye. I was listening to someone talk the other day that he has a habit of any gathering that he's at, he leaves. He doesn't say goodbye to anyone. He just leaves and it sounds rude but he said that he knows himself that while he's saying goodbye people will say well just stay a little longer or hey you want to try this or come come i want to introduce you to someone and he said i have no willpower i will be there till 1 at night so i need to just leave when it's time for me to leave and i bring that up because it's uh that no distractions it's time to get uh get busy doing the ministry how about this one, Rachel? Uh, do not keep moving from house to house.
1: I think that you don't want to give the devil devil opportunity to cause divisions. And I feel like this could promote jealousy among people. If it's like, I'll stay with you. And now I got another offer. I'm going to go over there. And oh, they said they're going to actually make this on Sunday night. They've, they're going to smoke a, their meat over there. They've got, so. a, they've got a pool in their backyard. <laughs> so I feel like... Just eliminate all of that talk, eliminate all these conjectures and jealousy and stuff and just go one spot and stay there and do your ministry from there and take out all that, the opportunity for the devil to put those kind of divisions in among you. And I don't know if that's really the yeah, I think the so. intent here, but that's kind of what I imagine. Mm-hmm. And
2: Jeremy, how about the kingdom of God is near? Uh, th- that was their
0: that was their theme, their sermon theme that Jesus gave them, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't just that that was like a magic code word that they just that they just kept saying that to people. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. I'm it, I'm I have to imagine that that was like a theme that they would expand upon when they would preach, and uh, here the context is of preaching. What, uh, right after you do uh, healing or you take care of somebody's bodily needs, and they're very grateful for that. And and then it's an opportunity to say, the kingdom of God has come near you. And what that means is uh, God took on flesh in, in this man that I know. His name is Jesus, and he sent me out to do this mission work. Uh, and he has this ruling authority that uh, kind of takes over your heart. It takes over your life. And uh, right now, it's near to you just by me talking to you. Uh, you know, something like that.
2: Yeah, and that reminds me, I was uh, asked to write some children's devotions for our synod, and it's very similar to uh, the directions I was given are very similar to the kingdom of heaven is near. As they said, uh, with every text, really see if you can bring in the first commandment for these little kids, because uh, they're written... Uh, for the preschoolers through eighth graders, focus on how these children might sin against the first commandment and then always back to Jesus. Because there's so much in Scripture you can talk about, all the different, you know, the six chief parts of the catechism and so forth, but that one limiting thing is a good limit for writing these children's devotions uh, meant to be five or six minutes long. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's all about uh, pointing out the kids' sin, and then pointing them back to their Savior. And maybe it's just as simple as that with law and gospel. gospel.
1: Uh, so tell me if I'm right or wrong here. So in that paragraph where it talks about going out into the streets and saying, even the, from, even the dust from your town that clings to your feet, we will wipe off against you. No, the kingdom of God is near. I kind of picture that as like the office of the keys, where they're like, we presented God's word to you, and you're still rejecting it. So this is like a visual sign that you have received God's word. And now, basically, since you have, you've rejected it, your sins are still on you. And we're going to move on. Is that yeah, the office very, of the keys and application, essentially?
0: Very much so. Yeah, uh, it's it's the idea that um, Judgment Day is coming. And th- the apostles back then would have been thinking this way as well. That judgment day is coming. And, and Jesus says it, it's going to be more bearable for certain other pieces of real estate. The Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, or uh, was, that, was that the only one? Yeah, Sod- more bearable for Sodom. Uh, so the, the, you're thinking about real estate and you're thinking about towns and plots of land. And this is the plot of land associated with this group of people. And now uh, I want to show you how serious it is that you're rejecting God's word. Uh, I don't want anything to do with your plot of land, because your plot of land, uh, if you persist in this belief, is going to come under some fiery judgment on the last day.
1: It's kind of like we warned you, and this is a visual sign that you have received yeah. the word.
0: And and the other point I like to make about this that struck me recently is it, when it comes to the the practice of church fellowship, that... Uh, a lot of people like to say that the Wisconsin Synod is so strict about practicing church fellowship and that we're we're so weird and odd that that we keep a, keep apart from or keep away from spiritual activity with um uh, other denominations uh i'm I'm looking at this and thinking that's what jesus is saying here he's saying don't practice fellowship, and I want you to be so strict about it that you wipe the dust off your feet' When people reject my teaching,
2: and let me interject, and or I, I think too, John in his epistle talking about don't even give them a greeting, yeah, don't give them the holy kiss,
0: and and I, I, that that's a point of law, okay. So we we want to we want to let uh, the gospel predominate in our preaching and teaching. So uh, I just want to point out that that there there are other principles that also apply and that that may lead to different applications um so it's not saying that uh, we shouldn't we're not Amish we don't shun people of different denominations and not even socialize with them uh no that's not well that was even on the trip that you and I took uh <laughs> there was some people people in line for the Arctic encounter with us that uh Rachel very socially socially went and uh, engaged because they had uh, the long jeans and the, bon- the women had the bonnets and the skirts. And she said, so are you Mennonite? And uh, got a whole conversation. Uh, we, it's, not, it's not as though we don't socialize with people of different denominations, but when it comes to spiritual activity, uh, I, I, I don't think uh, we're being too strict when Jesus himself said, wipe the dust off your feet.
1: It's. I mean, it's done in love. Eventually, you want it to take hold in mind, and you want them to come to faith or come to repentance or whatever. It's a. It's a passionate love for them that is doing this, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I think there. Several weeks ago, I was asked to do a committal service. Uh, it was for a sister of one of our members, and they asked me to be able to talk about Jesus and so forth, even though I had no idea who this person was. And I was happy to do that, uh, to be able to give resurrection comfort and so forth. But if they would have said, well, we want you just to do a generic Christian thing, and but don't really mention Jesus or so forth, I would have shook sh- 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 the dust off my feet and said, I really don't want anything to do with this. Uh, this... Same member had asked me several years ago to give the invocation. And and the invocation is more than just in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, It was a prayer at the beginning of some luncheon. And uh, she said, well, you can't be the directions that were given to me, like all the other pastors or priests to do it, uh, not to be confrontational or anything. But I I did tell her, well, I'm going to pray and I'm going to mention Jesus. Because if you listen to a lot of invocations in the, uh, for military or Congress or whatever, they'll, they'll mention God's name, but they, they do not mention Jesus because his name is confrontational. And I said, I, I'm not going to do it if I can't talk about Jesus. Oh, well, you can do Jesus. But I just bring that up because of uh, if they don't want anything to do with Jesus, then there's no reason for the pastor who represents Jesus to be there shake the dust off my feet
1: did the pharisees do that i, I read somewhere and i don't know if maybe you can confirm or deny this the pharisees did that when they left a gentile area to show that that area was unclean is that true that they that, did that?
0: that it sounds like something i've i've heard that's, so
1: like this was this would sort of speak to the people because they had this idea of like they did that when they left an unclean area well here they're saying you're still unclean you're still in your sins yeah so was it that's a, something that's maybe that point. would I, relate to them
0: I don't off the top of my head I can't say exactly where I've heard that but I feel like I've heard that too and that would certainly make sense that this is a common way of communicating and uh, the people would have understood it that way and uh, Jesus says that uh, you mentioned the use of the keys he says uh once uh, you've warned somebody and then warned somebody again with more witnesses and then told the whole church and they still won't repent then treat them like you normally treat the Pharisees and tax collectors, because that's that's familiar. How the Pharisees treated the Pharisees and uh, the prostitutes and tax
2: collectors. So, Rachel, after the seventy-two return, Mm -hmm. what reason did they have for rejoicing?
1: Oh, they were so excited that the demons listened to them, or because of God, obviously. Um, And they were so excited about that they could cast out demons. But
2: Jeremy, what was? Jesus was pointing out that they should have a greater joy. What was yeah, that?
0: and he—that's important. He affirms their excitement. He doesn't say, mm-hmm. "Hey, knock it off! You, you didn't do it. That was all my power." Um, no, he says, "You got to play a part." Like, like you said, you, there's a mission, and you get to play a part, and that—that that is exciting, isn't it? And Jesus was really positive with them. Um, uh, but uh, I've got a classmate and friend uh, that uses this verse as um, whenever he does the laying on of hands at an an ordination or an installation, uh, this is his go-to verse that he picks uh, because he says, uh, you know, Pastor so-and-so, when you baptize babies, when you teach catechism class, when you give out communion, when you preach your sermons, uh, Satan and his demons are falling. They are being cast down, and that's an awesome, an awe-inspiring work that you get to do, and that's worth being excited about but uh, it, or not but but nevertheless isn't this even more exciting you're going to heaven one day you have your sins forgiven and that's an even bigger deal because it doesn't matter how much uh you you say lord lord and people are uh converted it doesn't matter how many you convert if you if your own soul is lost uh that's a sad thing and and jesus says be more excited that your name is written in eternal
2: life. And one of the ways I've taken that last verse is to be excited that God has used me to have him write names in heaven. Uh, I just think of all the blessings of baptism because when the teens were in the rally was asked me, well, pastor, what do you like? Uh, what do you like most about being a pastor? And I said, uh, baptisms and funerals, which sounds really weird. But I said, I get to baptize people. I get to bring them into God's heaven. And then funerals, I am uh, been, have been used to usher them into heaven. The rest of the work in the middle, that's just gravy. But the baptism and and the funerals, that's the beginning and the end of the Christian life.
1: I I imagine it like Jesus saying, like, you thought that was cool. And you're just seeing like the external look of it. I'm going to like pull the curtain back or show you like, what do I see? Like I see everything that is invisible to you and I see everything eternal. And like, if you only knew what was waiting for you in heaven, like you think this is cool, just wait. Like if you only knew this would be so little in the whole scheme of things. Like just wait. I can just imagine that sort of attitude. Like if you only knew.
2: There's even more to be There's excited There's
1: so about. much more, guys. Just wait.
2: But I think with that, too, what we were talking about, Rachel, with your ministry in various places, is you think that what you're doing now is cool with uh, your, the baptisms you've been able to, to have for adults and children that you've baptized and the different uh, English as second language places that you've taught classes or whatever it is, and then to think where those children and adults are in the kingdom now or in years to come and how yeah. God is going to use them as part of his 72 because he used you as part of his 72. As you thought that, that was cool, baptizing that little girl? Wait till I show you in heaven someday how I used her to do this ministry later on.
1: Yeah, it makes you think of like this is just a small little tiny slice of what you're going to experience someday in glory.
2: So, last question, and neither one of you can answer this: What does Jesus mean when he says, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven"?
0: Uh, there's at least two options that Jesus is talking about here. Um, he's he's either trying to uh, empathize with the disciples and and feed off their excitement and say, "Hey, I had a really exciting experience too." uh back when uh satan rebelled against god uh and was thrown out of paradise um that that was a lot like what you guys are doing you're you're throwing out demons <clears throat> and uh the other option is that uh jesus could be talking about what he had like Rachel was saying uh jesus was looking not at the external physical world of what was happening but in a spiritual way seeing the uh, demons and Satan being thrown down directly by the uh, disciples, the 72 uh, who did ministry uh, and healed and preached. So it, it's, a, it's a question of, is Jesus talking about the beginning of time when Satan was thrown out, or is he talking about what just happened, Satan being thrown out of people's personal lives at that time?
2: Yeah, so what you're talking about, Jeremy, is Revelation twelve, ten. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Or the second way you took it of, uh, well, you thought that was cool, uh, casting out demons. Let me tell you what was really cool. When I cast out the big baddie of the devil, the father of the demons,
1: I mean, he's just also reinforcing his eternal nature there. That, that like He was there when that happened and he saw it and his absolute authority over all those demons that they see as so powerful and that they're only able to do what he's granting them.
2: Right. Jeremy, you want to get into the epistle lesson from 1 Peter
0: 5? Well, we've got just a few minutes, so it's good it's a short reading. <laughs> uh, 1 Peter 5. Therefore, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and as one who also shares in the glory that is about to be revealed, I appeal to the elders among you, shepherd God's flock that is among you, serving as overseers, not grudgingly, but willingly, as God desires, not because you are greedy for money, but because you are eager to do it. Do not lord it over those entrusted to you, to your care, but be examples for the flock, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory.
2: So, Jeremy, who are the elders to whom Peter is referring?
0: You could say this is another word for pastor. Uh, It is a word that uh, has to do with maturity. So, not necessarily how many years you've lived on the earth, uh, just because you're you're an older person doesn't mean you're spiritually mature, and just because you're a younger person doesn't mean that you're spiritually immature. But it's it's somebody who's leading the congregation based on uh, mature experience in 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 faith in Christ.
2: So then, Rachel, how does Peter weave the gospel into his encouragement to these elders slash pastors?
1: I think verse four, really shows that the most it says when the chief shepherd appears you will receive an unfading crown of glory so you've already got heaven because of what christ has done so that is our motivation we want to get that message out to others they they also have heaven waiting for them when they find out and believe that jesus is their savior
2: yeah, and he's also talking about suffering here. Uh, First Peter really does talk a lot about suffering, and he says these elders are going to suffer. Uh, and but the one who suffers and has not denied his faith, he will inherit eternal life, and all the elder other elders will do the same.
1: So knowing that you're not alone in your sufferings, knowing that everybody else is going to be experiencing the same thing of the sufferings, yeah. well, is I thought an encouragement maybe what you were too? driving
0: at was. Weaving the gospel in, uh, I'm not sure where the part is where it talks about the elders doing the suffering, but it does say that Peter, the man writing this, is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I think that's an encouragement, that it's going to be hard in your work as a a leader of the congregation, um, and when it gets hard... I want you to remember that I saw Jesus die on the cross and pay for our sins and suffer our punishment. Uh, and so that's that's certainly gospel as well.
2: What about each of these phrases? What is the positive when he says to do this ministry, not grudgingly?
0: Well, my sinful nature kind of wants to say, well, I don't know how to do it any other way but grudgingly, so what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Uh, it, it I, I, I don't know what it, where you're yeah, going with that.
2: Is I think we want to be doing it willingly. That this is an exciting ministry, but oh.
0: that's why we need people like Rachel to walk into the room and say, uh,
2: "Hey, yes,
0: <laughs> I'm." This is not grudgingly right here. Yes. That's not
2: grudgingly. Yeah. How about not greedy for money?
1: It shouldn't just be a job that you're hired to do. Like you you actually care about the people and you actually care about their spiritual welfare.
0: That one stood in contrast to me as I was thinking about the gospel we just read, which Peter would have been one of those 72, wouldn't he? Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think, you know, you can always go to extremes. You got to find a narrow Lutheran middle. And uh, if there's a... Deutschlander. If there's a... That's right. Deutschlander. If if there's a pastor uh, who's like... uh, constantly pointing out that what Jesus said is, the worker deserves his wages, the worker deserves his wages, the worker deserves his wages. Well, one of those 72 is now also saying, let's not forget that it shouldn't be the money and earning the paycheck that's driving you. Uh, yes, both are true. Let's, let's uh, uh, find a good balance between those two sentiments.
2: Yeah. And so you are eager to serve. How about not lording it over those entrusted to you?
1: I think you recognize you're all the same in God's eyes. You're all sinners that need forgiveness, redemption through Jesus. You're not above anybody else. Everybody's if you're always, in the same If
0: you're always playing the boat. authority card, if you're always saying, uh, well, let's just do this. Be- there, may, there may come times when, you know, as a, a parent in the household or a boss on the job, you have to say, okay, you don't get this, but please just do it because or does that ever happen with a classroom as a teacher? You may not understand why I'm asking you to do this, but please just do it because I'm in charge. And, uh, but the thing is, I think the don't Lord it over them means if you're always using that as your backup argument, then that's kind of lording it over them. I I would Mm -hmm. say.
2: Yeah. And as pastors, you know, Jeremy, you and I were often seen then as leaders uh, leaders in the church for you leader in the high school and and yet uh, not to abuse that relationship not to abuse that leadership but to to say i'm a i'm a servant as much as i am your leader i am yeah. also your servant that and, paradox yes.
1: of the master servant. so so
0: for instance if you've got like a a meeting of of church business that doesn't really have theological implications maybe just let the Businessmen and the people with the most experience in things like real estate or uh, construction—that—that uh, that the pastors don't need to be weighing in too heavily on that.
2: Yeah, we just had a meeting like that, didn't we? And did you notice how much I talked at that meeting?
0: I, I you talked as much
2: as I did. Yeah, uh, you and I didn't say a single thing because you're right. Uh, we have no clue. Uh, at least I know nothing about real estate and so forth. And, well, was- and,
0: and the problem is, if I, I remember the, it, my dad, the first time I went to a voters meeting when I was 18, and my dad was the pastor, and they were getting into some pretty hot topics about property and things like that, and uh, I, I was sort of turning to my dad and saying, why aren't you saying something? Why aren't you saying something? Well, if he speaks up, he's he's going to be, he's supposed to be the voice of conscience, And you better be doggone sure that you're speaking uh, on behalf of God and not just your personal opinion when you speak up about uh, things that are not uh, biblically related.
2: Yeah, that reminds me of years ago and before a voters meeting, I gave a devotion. And in the devotion, I talked about how maybe in the past, before I was here, that our leaders and people maybe not, didn't do the right thing with their money that we used to own a number of houses on Bates Street that we have our school on. And we were hoping to own those houses as teacherages and then one day tear them down to have a larger parking lot and playground and so forth. And over the years, we sold them. And I said, yeah, maybe we were short-sighted in not keeping those buildings. And then one of the gentlemen a very reasonable voice, very knowledgeable man came up to me afterwards, thankfully privately, and said, Pastor, we had to sell those buildings in the past because we had to pay for our teachers. So I bring that up because I was talking about stuff I had no clue about. Mm. And I shouldn't have been talking about financial things Mm. unless I knew the whole story. And yeah, so with this kind of thing is, you're right, let's be leaders when it when it's time for us to be the leaders in spiritual matters. But in other opportunities uh it's a wonderful thing that we're in a in a larger congregation, a larger school in high school like we're all serve at where we have so many talented lay people. Let's bring that talented lay person to uh, maybe coach something over at Shoreland. Let's have that talented building and grounds guy that actually knows real estate and things like that. Uh here Paul or Peter is talking about that spiritual shepherd and he's talking about the congregation being a flock so I guess for both of you how does your pastor not necessarily me but your pastors in the past too act as spiritual shepherds to their flocks so how have you seen that Rachel in the past because you've served with a number of pastors over the years I'm thinking and then Jeremy you too verse 2 you're talking
0: about
2: yeah, shepherd God's flock that is among you, serving as overseers. So how have you seen your pastors in the past serve as that shepherd?
1: I think bringing you God's word in a way that applies to your situation at the time. If you're struggling with something, they can help direct you to what you might consider that you maybe have forgotten about or overlooked or might help you refocus on What's important if you maybe lost focus, um, just bringing you that way, back to the truth of God's word and reframing things when you yeah we don't start to stray
0: we yeah we don't have a, as clear of a concept of what shepherding is just the actual job of taking care of sheep, um, other than in church. In church, we hear about it, but uh, I, I think you have to ask what is what is actual shepherds do? They feed, they give water to the sheep um they uh they play with the sheep protect uh so going to play paintball i guess would <laughs> oh, kind of be go. a shepherding thing nice. um they uh they protect yes uh they warn and and keep on a straight path um they they lead they lead by example uh not hurting the sheep from behind but always walking in front and just talking and the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. And, uh, that I, I could, everything that I just said, I could, I could probably think of a pretty good example in my life of pastors I've had who have done that.
2: I was just talking with some of my classmates. We had them over at the house the other day and we we got into discussing something like this. And in Luke 10, where Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and, we were asking, you know, how much of the pastor's time is to be spent going after that lost sheep? Because we talk about it a lot, and yet, I don't know if this is confrontation or, uh, yeah, confrontational. If this is wrong, it could be. But, you know, our job as shepherds is to put the feet, the feet out there, God's word. Put the water out there, which is God's word, uh call the sheep in to make use of the means of grace word and sacrament and you know we don't you know a lot of our congregations are maybe a third maybe a half are inactive delinquent and that's a lot more than one you know jesus said you had 99 that are coming and i just wonder uh we don't really have to get into this now but just something to think about: how much of a congregation and pastor's time is spent on those inactive members? Because uh, Jesus does put the onus on the sheep and the lambs. The food is here, the water's here, the safety of the flock is here. You need to you need to take responsibility and come.
0: He puts the onus on
2: on the sheep. To come to the... Are you ecosystem.
0: talking about the ninety-nine? Because it wouldn't be the onus on the lost sheep. The, the oh, that's the definitely the shepherd is going out to search. Right,
2: but I wonder. I wonder though if that lost sheep, if that's someone that's uh, just a straying member, or if it's someone that's lost their faith, hmm. is totally lost as someone that's just being lazy at home.
0: Which you wouldn't find out until you go and talk to him.
2: Yeah, and like I said. Uh, that's something I think we can discuss more in depth, especially when that gospel lesson comes in in a few, in a few weeks. But just putting that out there with this is the shepherd, as a faithful shepherd, he's, his main job is word and sacrament, getting people word and sacrament, law and gospel, means of grace ministry.
1: I think protection is a huge part of it, though, like protecting them from all the lies that swirl around us on a daily basis in society and like helping us I, like, you know see through that and d- redirecting us back to what yeah. is truth and that's one of the things that yeah. i want to be doing
2: focusing on my my teens and my college students is exactly that because there's so much untruth out there all right anything else you two want to bring up with this i'm good You're good. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
2: This is Michael Zarling with Rachel Bushkoff and Lighten in the Mood. Let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.